Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Principles and Practice Strategies for Immunotherapy in Genitourinary Malignancies, is provided by Axis Medical Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and EMD Serono Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello and welcome to this educational activity titled Principles and Practice Strategies for Immunotherapy and Generative Urinary Malignancies. I am Dr. Robert Mozer, Jack and Dorothy Byrne Chair in Clinical Oncology at Kidney Cancer Section Head in the Department of Medicine at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Here is a disclaimer and disclosure indicating that we may be discussing off-label use of approved agents or agents that are in development. Here's my financial disclosure information. And these are the learning objectives for this activity. This portion to cover renal cell carcinoma and the priority is an update on the first line treatment for metastatic RCC, as well as some of the new novel targets and strategies. Topics for discussion include the rationale for immunotherapy combination approaches in RCC, current first-line treatment options supporting evidence and guideline recommendations, including nivolumab plus ipilimumab, pembrolizumab plus exitinib, avalumab plus exitinib, and some of the emerging evidence for nivolumab plus cabozantinib. There'll also be a practical application case. Historically, renal cell carcinoma has been one of the most difficult cancers to treat, particularly in the era of chemotherapy. The real breakthrough in this disease came about as a better understanding of the underlying biology with the importance of the VHL gene in pathogenesis for clear cell carcinoma of the kidney. As a result of that, targeted drugs were developed that uh, were VEGFR receptor antagonists. And as a result of these targeted agents, really the treatment was transformed. We refer to it as the targeted therapy era in RCC. And two of the leaders that dominated first-line treatment were sunitinib and pizopidib. Beginning around 2006 and extending up until just recently, the mainstay for first-line therapy was, the, was either one of these two targeted drugs, sunitinib or pizopidib. There were other targeted agents that were also assessed at first in previously treated patients and then some in first-line therapy. And so there's a multitude of targeted agents that have been approved for the treatment of kidney cancer. And for the most part, our management strategies have been sequencing these drugs. Several of these were looked at in first-line therapy as well. And uh, cabozantinib is one of those. It was approved based on a large phase three trial called the Meteor trial compared to Everlimus. But the efficacy looked promising and it was compared to sunitinib in this first-line randomized phase two trial, showing superior efficacy in a similar toxicity profile. The situation really changed, however, with the advent and study of targeted immunotherapies or PD-1 inhibitors. The first uh, of these agents that was studied and brought into standard of care 
for renal cell carcinoma was nivolumab. In the Checkmate 025 trial, nivolumab was compared to everolimus and showed a higher response rate, improved overall survival, as well as better toxicity profile and quality of life. And this really ushered in the era of immunotherapy for the treatment of renal cell carcinoma. In choosing first-line treatments for RCC, it's important to understand the risk stratification groupings that have been developed for this disease. The initial one was the MSKCC risk group, and it identified and stratified patients into favorable, intermediate, and poor risk based on five different factors. This was modified after these factors and several others were developed and run on patients who were treated with targeted therapy. And so the more modern one is the IMDC, which is shown here. There are six different risk factors for a short survival. Patients are grouped into these three categories, favorable, intermediate, and poor, based on the number of risk groups. And you can see on the right, the uh, overall survival really separates with regard to these three different risk groupings. It's important because these uh, groupings have been used in clinical trial stratification and as well are now used in choosing therapies for patients with clear cell carcinoma and first-line treatment. Over the last couple of years, there have been three different immunotherapy combinations that have been studied in large phase three trials in clear cell carcinoma. They've received regulatory approval uh, and now make up our main armamentarium for first-line treatment for clear cell carcinoma. Nivolumab plus ipilimumab are two uh, checkpoint inhibitor therapies. So this is usually referred to as combined IO therapy. Exitinib is a tyrosine kinase inhibitor that was developed in second-line therapy and is combined with the PD-1 inhibitor, pembrolizumab. Uh, and the third study, exitinib, is combined with avelumab, which is a PDL1 inhibitor. This diagram emphasizes the different mechanism of action for these drugs in treatment of kidney cancer. They basically target either PD-1 or PDL1. And by doing so, they enhance immune surveillance of your own immune system to, to target the cancer and cause your own immune system to, to recognize tumor and, and to and able to fight it. Ipilimumab is a related compound. It's called a CTLA-4 inhibitor, which has a similar mechanism of action. Nivolumab was the first to be approved, and it is, uh, it's approved for patients who have received prior anti-angiogenic therapy as a monotherapy. Nivolumab plus ipilimumab was approved in April 2018 based on the Checkmate 214 trial, uh, and its approval has been in primarily in intermediate and poor risk patients who are previously untreated. Pembrolizumab plus Exitinib uh, followed this with the Keynote 426 and is approved for uh, first-line treatment of patients with advanced RCC, uh, as is Avelumab plus Exitinib uh, per the Javelin Renal 101 trial. So let's look, take a look at these three different phase three trials that have changed the way we treat uh, RCC. 
This slide summarizes some of the, uh, the details of the trials, the Checkmate 214, Keynote 426, and Javelin Renal 101 phase three trials. You can see that these are all large trials, over 800 patients. They included patients from all three different risk groups, although the uh, uh, Checkmate 214 had a, a, a modest number since the primary endpoint was directed at patients. They all included some patients with PDL1 positive tumors, uh, although it's clear from this data that the, that the methodology was different for each of these studies in determining PDL1 positivity. Primary endpoints for the Checkmate 214 were objective response rate, PFS, and OS in intermediate and poor risk patients. In Keynote 426, it was both overall survival and PFS. And in Exitinib plus Evolumab Javelin Renal 1, it was OS and PFS as co primary endpoints, specifically in the PDL1 positive population. The three trials met their primary endpoints. Here we see the Checkmate 214, which met primary endpoints of objective response rate, as well as overall survival. The hazard ratio was 0.63 in favor of NEVO plus IPI, uh, with a strong benefit uh, based in overall survival. The response rate was higher as well. In Keynote 426, both primary endpoints were reached. The progression-free survival was improved for Pembro plus Exitinib, and as well as the overall survival shown here. So both Keynote 426 and Checkmate 214 showed benefits in overall survival. In contrast, Javelin Renal 101 uh, met its primary endpoint by showing uh, improvement in progression-free survival by the, in the pdl one positive group as well as in the uh, overall group, um, but there wasn't a benefit shown in overall survival. The overall survival benefit was fairly immature in the report and continues to mature. Here's a summary of the, um, of the high-level results for these different trials. And highlights are the, the percent of complete responses with Checkmate 214 is, is over 10%, which is uh, is quite remarkable and is a, a metrics that is important to many in terms of complete response. For Keynote 426, the response rate is nearly 60%. And so that's characterized by a very high response rate. And both of these studies, as shown here, showed benefits in overall survival. For progression-free survival, primary endpoint was not met with Checkmate 214, but it was met with uh, Keynote 426. Javelin Renal 101 uh, showed a high response rate as well, a benefit in progression-free survival, but has been distinguished somewhat from the others because of a lack of survival benefit. We can compare these two trials, recognizing that there's limitations in cross-study comparisons, and these are shown here. For the patients that are intermediate and poor risk, the Keynote 426 is on the left and the Checkmate 214 is now on the right. You can see the response rates are about the same with uh, Pembro plus Axi and with Nevo plus Ipi. Maybe a little higher with Pembro plus Axi. Complete responses seem a little higher with Nevo plus Ipi. Progression-free survival 
about the same with both in this population, and both show a, uh, a really good improvement in overall survival. So from the standpoint of efficacy, these two, uh, you know, they, they match in the intermediate and poor risk patients fairly well. The difference we saw was in the favorable risk group. In a favorable risk group, the response rate main, remains high with the Pembro plus Axi uh, higher than Sinitinib. The progression-free survival is longer, but the survival is, uh, is uh, although it's, it's, it's longer with Pembro plus Axi, the 95% uh, confidence intervals extends well over one compared to Sinitinib. Checkmate 214, we see a different pattern. And that is the response rate was actually higher with sunitinib compared to Nevo plus Ibi, and the progression-free survival was longer. There was also a trend early on towards an improvement in overall survival with sunitinib compared to Nevo plus Ibi, although again, the 95% confidence intervals are overlapping. So for many, Pembro plus actually is the preferred choice for patients that have uh, favorable risk tumors compared to Nevo plus Ipi. But let's look at some of the long-term follow-up and toxicity as well. So let's look at updated results with Checkmate 214, since that study read out early and longer follow-up is available. With updated results, the survival benefit for Nevo plus Ipi in the intermediate and poor risk patients is maintained. We see in the favorable risk, that the survival is starting to balance out between the two arms and is very similar with longer follow-up. What some have uh, highlighted is the fact that favorable risk patients have a long-term survival regardless of treatment offered, and that these patients for the most part can receive multiple uh, regimens sequentially over time. So if one program works, patients continue with that. If not, then the patient can switch to a different alternative program. So based on this data, uh, there are advocates for Ipinevo in the favorable risk uh, group as well, uh, because the feeling is, is that if the patient doesn't respond to Ipinevo, they can receive sequential VEGF target therapy. One of the highlights of, of uh, Nevo plus Ipi as well, uh, that's become apparent with long-term follow-up, is that the responses to this are, can be durable. And so long-term benefit is a hallmark of Nevo plus Ipi treatment. Shown here is the, uh, the duration of response and the fact that the curve at the right begins to flatten out, meaning patients remain in durable response with this program. For uh, the um, pembrolizumab plus exitinib or the TKI plus IO combinations, uh, the trials were done uh, later on, and so we don't have as much follow-up, but we're beginning to get follow-up, longer follow-up on some of these programs. And shown here is an update from the Keynote 426 study. It shows that the survival benefit is maintained, as shown on the left for Pembro plus Axi over Sinitinib. And on the right, we see progression-free survival. Um, there is a benefit overall, but what we have not seen yet is this leveling off of this, this tail of the curve showing a maintenance of response and a maintenance of progression-free survival. And so that's what we have seen over time with Nevo plus Ipi, 
and further evaluation, longer follow-up needs to be seen with the IOTKI treatments to see if we can get the same sort of long-term benefit. Comparing the two regimens, uh, the toxicity profiles are quite different. This is a tornado plot that shows toxicity profile for Pembro plus Axi compared to Sinitinib. And for the most part, the toxicities for the, uh, this IOTKI combination are driven by the TKI. The toxicities are quite manageable. We've become very used to managing toxicities from TKI. One of the issues with them is they tend to be over time. With Nevo plus Ipi, the toxicity profile is quite different. It's, it's essentially all these immune-related side effects which we see with IO therapies that mimic autoimmune disorders. For the most part, most of these immune-related side effects happen early on during the induction phase when the patient receiving both IPI plus NEVO. And then once that uh, is passed, we do see these even after therapy can be discontinued, but for the most part, they are very uncommon. They can be difficult to diagnose, however, and difficult to manage with high-dose steroids. Sometimes, uh, some of these, like colitis, require hospitalization. So you can see the toxicity profile really quite different between these IO-IO combinations shown here with Nevo plus IPI and TKI-IO combinations. For the most part, the burden of toxicity is up front with IO-IO, and with IO-TKI, it occurs later with chronic toxicities like diarrhea. Javelin Renal 101 also highlighted the, uh, the toxicities for Avelumab plus Exitinib compared to Sinitinib. And you can see here as well, similar to Exitinib plus Pembrolizumab, the common toxicities that we see are diarrhea, hypertension, skin toxicity, dysphonia, and stomatitis. And these are all primarily related to the Exitinib TKI. There does seem to be some enhancement as well for the TKI-related toxicities when they're combined with an IO therapy. Nonetheless, these combinations are overall generally well-tolerated and management and are outweighed greatly by the therapeutic benefit for these programs. NCCN sets guidelines for treatment of kidney cancer, and these are uh, some of the more recent ones for first-line therapy. Uh, as they are uh, separated by risk, so for favorable risk, preferred regimens are exitinib plus pembrolizumab. Pazopinib and sinitinib are still listed as uh, preferred regimens based on the level of evidence by which these drugs were approved. But for the most part, for patients with intermediate and poor risk tumors particular, and many with favorable risk as shown here, we recommend an IO therapy in combination with the TKI. Other options, and uh, however, are ipilimumab plus dabolimab. Based on the quality of life benefit with this regimen, based on the long-term benefit, based on the fact that favorable risk patients can generally receive multiple regimens. In the poor and intermediate, you can see there are two main contenders for, for uh, preferred regimens, and these are Ipilimumab plus nivolumab and exitinib plus pembrolizumab, and both uh, have their, uh, you know, their 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 relative benefits and their relative disadvantages compared to each other. 
With regard to emerging data or more recent data, Checkmate 9ER was a randomized phase three trial that uh, recently read out. It was um, presented at the annual ESMO meeting uh, in 2020. Uh, this was a large phase three trial that also looked at clear cell tumors that were previously untreated and compared the IOTKI combination of nivolumab plus cabozantinib compared to sinitinib. So in certain respects, this mirrors both the Javelin uh, 101 and the Keynote 426 trials by comparing an IOTKI combination to sinitinib. Primary endpoints were progression-free survival and overall survival response and safety were key secondary endpoints. You'll note here in the regimen that cabozantinib is given at a lower dose than that approved in monotherapy. In monotherapy, cabozantinib is given at 60 milligrams, where here a lower dose of 40 milligrams was given. This trial met its primary endpoint, showing improvement in progression-free survival compared to, uh, to sinitinib. The median is really quite remarkable at 16.6 months for Nevo plus Cabo. And the hazard ratio was very strong in favor for this combination uh, and statistically significant. Response rate was double with cabozantinib plus nivolumab compared to sinitinib. There were some complete responses seen as well, plus Nevo plus Cabo with a, about an 8% uh, CR rate. This data is, uh, you know, is new and, and warrants longer uh, follow-up to better assess uh, duration of response uh, and uh, progression-free survival, but certainly the median duration of response of 20 months here is really quite encouraging. Most notably, uh, this trial also met the secondary endpoint of overall survival as shown here with a benefit in uh, uh, to nivolumab plus cabozantinib over sinitinib and a hazard ratio of 0.60. The safety summary is shown here by this tornado plot. Overall, this combination appears relatively, relatively well tolerated uh, with a similar toxicity profile that we've seen with the other TKI-IO combinations. Note in this study that cabozantinib was given at a slightly lower dose than that of the uh, full dose in monotherapy. This is a comparison of uh, these four phase three trials. Um, Three of the four have resulted in appro regulatory approval for their combinations, Pembro plus Axi, Nevo plus Ipi, and Avalumab plus Exitinib. Cabo plus Nevo uh, remains investigational, uh, but we anticipate that it's going to receive regulatory approval uh, within uh, 2021 based on the strength of the data for um, benefit and progression-free survival and overall survival over sinitinib. The results of these are summarized and shown here between all these four phase three trials, which have really changed uh, how we treat kidney cancer and first-line therapy and continue to make changes. These combinations have shown improvement in progression-free survival in overall survival and in the uh, response rates as seen previously. Checkmate 9ER showed benefit in progression-free survival and overall survival. Keynote 426 benefits in progression-free survival and overall survival for Pembro plus Axi. Checkmate 214 
did not show a clear benefit in progression-free survival early on, but as time goes on, the, the, uh, there does seem to be a benefit for IPI plus NEVO in progression-free survival as well, with updated data not shown here, but a clear benefit in overall survival. And Javelin Renal 101, improvement in progression-free survival, but not yet seen in overall survival. With regard to uh, safety, for the most part, the safety profiles of Pembro plus Axi, um, Cabo plus Nevo, and Exitinib plus Avelumab are similar since they all complete, continue, contain an IOTKI combination. They're all pretty much driven by the TKI uh, toxicity with its effects, including um, uh, uh, diarrhea, hypertension, skin toxicity. IPI plus NEVO, clearly distinct, since there is not a TKI in that combination. And that, uh, with that program, toxicity profile quite different and is centered around relatively high rate of patients receiving immune-related side effects and requiring uh, uh, high-dose steroids for, for management. For patients who progress on uh, IO combinations, there's really an unmet need to define um, uh, the, the best therapy. Uh, and this is because the landscape has changed so dramatically in the last couple of years, there's really a paucity of studies. For the most part, uh, patients are treated with TKIs, uh, with cabozantinib being a popular choice. There is some uh, you know, question, and uh, one of the issues is around, is there a role for continued IO therapy in patients who have progressed on IO combinations in first line. Perhaps the most intriguing uh, and exciting data comes from this single arm uh, trial that was conducted in over 100 patients who had progressed on prior IO therapy. Now this could have been a combination in first line or some of these patients may have gotten a TKI filed by Nivolumab monotherapy in second line. This data has been presented uh, in abstract form as well at uh, the most recent ESMO meetings and shows a uh, response rate of over 50% with the combination of lymvatinib plus pembrolizumab. Now lymvatinib is approved in second line therapy following TKI in combination with Everlimus, but it's a very effective promising TKI and it's been combined here with pembrolizumab. So these results are really quite striking and quite provocative. One of the other questions has been for patients who are on say nivolumab monotherapy, per his indication, you know, is there a advantage to add an IPI to those patients who have progressed on nivo monotherapy? And so there's been a number of different trials that have looked at that. For the most part, the, um, the data have been somewhat disappointing for IPI uh, given subsequently to patients progressing on nivolumab. There is a, a, a marginal response rate in the, in the rate of uh, 10 to 15% for some of the studies, but we don't see um, uh, complete responses replicated throughout the trials. And there's a fair amount of toxicity for adding IPI to nivolumab in monotherapy for patients progressing. So this is not a recommended approach by my means. This is very exciting times for treatment of renal cell carcinoma. 
And there are other trials which are uh, should be on the radar screen, uh, IO therapy, both in, 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 in first line uh, and in other settings. And so these are some trials that I think are particularly promising and may as well add or change the landscape. I'd like to highlight the, uh, the CLEAR trial, which is lymvatinib plus pembrolizumab versus sunitinib versus lymvatinib plus everolimus in first-line therapy. This trial has completed accrual, uh, and um, it hasn't been reported out yet, but there has been a press release that it was, uh, uh, that the data are very promising, promising and it met its primary endpoints. The COSMIC 313 trial is investigating the triplets, CABO plus NEVO plus IPI versus NEVO plus IPI. And so I think that's, a, that's really the first trial to look at a triplet to see if we can improve efficacy. The other setting that's very important that IOs are being studied in is in the adjuvant setting. And there's two trials to highlight. One is the Keynote 464, which compares Pembro to placebo in patients with high-risk RCC following nephrectomy, and the Checkmate 914 trial, which complete, compares the combination of NEVO plus IPI versus placebo versus NEVO, a large trial, and that's the one that's currently accruing. I will review with you a case in terms of treatment choices, and this is a 60-year-old male who had a diagnosis of renal cell carcinoma. He presented with a, a large kidney primary had a, a nephrectomy showing clear cell carcinoma. And shortly thereafter, a metastatic disease workup showed that he had progressive disease in his lung uh, and in his bone area. His blood work showed that he was anemic and that he had elevated uh, calcium. And so this patient was deemed to have three risk factors and actually be a poor risk patient. So the treatment options for this patient previously would have been sunitinib or pizopidib, but this has changed now with these drugs. And so for the most part, the, the two treatment options for a patient with three risk factors, having relapsed within a short time after nephrectomy, being anemic, having high calcium, is either nivolumab plus epilumumab or exitinib plus pembrolizumab. So those would be the two treatment options and there are advocates for each. My own recommendation in a patient like, like that currently would be to favor NEVO plus IPI based on the fact that we have more mature data showing durability of response, a flattening or a tail of the curve over time with uh, progression-free survival. So there seems to be a long-term benefit. But exitinib plus pembrolizumab would also be a good choice. Now, that patient was treated with uh, IPI plus NEVO, and he had a response, and the response existed for 11 months, and then he developed progressive disease. So this happened while he was being on treatment with the nivolumab maintenance. And so in terms of this patient, you know, uh, one could consider adding IPI, which uh, we would not do. Studies have shown there's not really a benefit to add an IPI, particularly in a patient who's had the IPI up front. It could be to change to a TKI therapy. And in that setting, there are uh, retrospective data supporting cabozantinib, exantinib, or lymvatinib everolimus. 
It could be to go on a clinical trial, which is what we would certainly recommend. Or one other, you know, option or thought would be with to provide that patient with lymphatinib pembrolizumab. Now, lymphatinib pembrolizumab uh, might be a choice in the future. Right now, that combination is not approved in that setting. So the standard of care in that to this patient would be to choose a TKI therapy, either cabozantinib, exantinib, or lymphatinib plus everolimus. So in terms of lessons from this around the globe, the treatment for RCC has changed dramatically based on phase three trials with the different options. So not all options are available in all countries, but certainly many patients have access to one or more option in various parts of the globe. Key takeaways, we've made tremendous progress in the treatment of advanced RCC. With the study and regulatory approval of sunitinib and pizopinib about 15 years ago, followed by uh, multiple other TKIs, including cabozantinib or lymphatinib plus everolimus. We made the next, really, I think, leap was the approval of nivolumab and monotherapy, and then more recently, these IOTKI combinations uh, in first-line treatment for RCC. With regard to uh, choice of these agents, for the most part, presently, for patients that have intermediate or poor risk, Nevo plus Ipi or Exitinib plus Pembro are the primary choices based on the strength of the data with improvement in overall survival. Exitinib plus Avelumab is also approved in this, uh, in this scenario, but lacks the uh, overall survival benefit. For patients with favorable risk tumors, preferred treatment by the NCCN includes pembrolizumab plus exitinib. Some patients who aren't good candidates for IO therapy uh, could be treated with TKIs alone, including sunitinib or pisopinib. And there is a role as well for IPI plus NEVO in that population based on the long-term gain. I'm very pleased to be with you to discuss the strategy for immunotherapy in geoncology and today especially in uh, bladder cancer. I'm uh, Jean Royo, I'm a medical oncologist at Gustave Roussy in Paris. I'm leading the bladder cancer program here in our group. I will try to go through the recent advance in the field of immunotherapy in both advance and localized disease in urothelial carcinoma. As you know, we have experienced very significant change in the way we are treating our patients in metastasis setting and so in earlier stage. And here, my financial disclosure information. So first of all, first line setting. What are the topics I will discuss? So I will review briefly the data regarding first line chemotherapy and then the role of immunotherapy in platinum ineligible patients. So I will remind their ongoing phase three trial in this setting. So five different pd one and pdl one inhibitors have been approved over the last three, four years in metastasis setting in US and three in Europe for patients who had disease progression after platinum-based chemotherapy. These include two pd one inhibitors, pembrolizumab and nivolumab, and three pdl one inhibitors Atezolimab, Avelimab, and Duvalimab. The level of evidence is different. 
Dembrosumab has been approved based on data from positive phase three trial, the Keynote 045. For two agents, we have also an approval in first-line setting. Atezolizumab and Perizumab have been approved following the data from two phase two trials, MDGOR 210 and Keynote 052, respectively. For this indication, only patients who are not eligible to cis platinum-based chemotherapy can receive this agent. In this case, a high PDL1 expression is required using CPS score or IC score. Also, patients who, who are not eligible to any platinum-based agent can be treated with either atezolumab or pembrolizumab, regardless of PDL1 expression. More recently, and we will discuss this later in a few minutes, Avelumab has been approved in US as maintenance treatment of patients with metastatic urothelial carcinoma that has not progressed with first-line platinum-containing chemotherapy. So at this point, maybe I should remind the standard of care in first-line. Dose-dose MVAC was compared to the classic MVAC in a phase three trial 15 years ago, and 263 patients were randomized. As you can see here, dose-dose MVAC seems to be better than historical MVAC. Median overall survival was more or less 15 months. And you can see here, the five-year survival rate for patients treated with dose-dose MVAC was 22% versus only 14% for classical MVAC. Another combination was compared to the classical MVAC, the cisplatin-gemcitabine combination. Again, the median overall survival was close to 15 months, with no difference between the two regimens. Given the better safety profile of cisplatin-gemcitabine combinations, this regimen was also seen as a new standard and was widely and rapidly used in first-line setting. The issue is that around 40 to 15 percent of patients cannot receive cisplatin-based combinations due to co comorbidities. There is not a strong consensus on this criteria. However, the most frequent criteria, at least for clinical trial, are those described on this line. Poor performance status, renal dysfunction, hearing loss, neuropathy, and heart failure. When these conditions are met in a patient, we try to avoid cisplatin because it is expected to induce serious toxicity. Carboplatin is the preferred option in these patients. And this recommendation stems from a trial conducted by a RTC group 10 years ago. Patients with either poor performance status or renal dysfunction were randomized to either carbogemzar or MBAC with carbo instead of cisplatin and removal of adriamycin. Again, no difference between the two approaches. We can see that the prognosis of this patient is even poorer with a median overall survival of nine months and median PFS of six months. But again, as carbogem was much better tolerated, it is a standard of care when we use a chemotherapy in patients unfit for cisplatin-based chemotherapy. So in this context, why we should investigate immunotherapy in first-line setting? Firstly, of course, these PD-1 and PD-1 inhibitors have activity in more advanced disease. So we had evidence of the impact of immunotherapy in urothelial carcinoma. Secondly, and importantly enough, this agent has the potential to be safe and less toxic than chemotherapy. 
can also expect fewer mechanisms of immune escape at early stage. Finally, so preclinical words indicated potential additivity or even synergy between platinum and immune checkpoint inhibitors. So obviously, there was a good rationale. That's what the approach investigated by MVO210 trial. In this phase two trial, two cohorts were designed, and the cohort one enrolled patient ineligible for cisplatin-based chemotherapy and were treated with atezolumab until progression. The criteria were those shown in my previous slide. The primary endpoint was overall response rate. In this study, overall response rate was around 25%, and PDL1 studies did not impact the result. Regarding the overall survival, it was a good surprise to see that the median overall survival reached 16 months in this population of patients. Remember that in ERTC study, the median overall survival was nine months. Again, no impact of PDL1 expression on the results. Another trial conducted in parallel assessed pembrolizumab in exactly the same population of patients. The study enrolled more patients, 270 patients. In this study, overall response rate was 29%. 8% of patients achieved complete response. CPS score was associated with the efficacy since overall response rate was 51% for PDL1 positive patients versus 23% for PDL1 negative patients. Here's the median overall survival. Median overall survival was only 12 months, but still better with historical data reported with the use of chemotherapy. So based on these results, both atezolizumab and pembrolizumab were approved in first-line setting in patients ineligible for cisplatin-based chemotherapy, regardless of PDL1 expression. Surprisingly, during the summer 2018, FDN INE indicated that both pembrolizumab and atezolizumab should be used for first line of urothelial carcinoma in patients with high level of PDL1 expression. Also, FDA allowed the use of this agent for patients who were not eligible for any platinum containing therapy, regardless of PDL1 status. At this stage, Nobody knew on what data these statements were based on. Several phase three trials were ongoing and interim analysis drove the decision of health authorities. So based on this data and the result of trial conducted in second line setting, a couple of phase three trials have been designed. Chose them, investigated a new combination, either a combination of immunotherapy or a combination of chemotherapy plus immunotherapy in first line setting in both cisplatin-eligible and cisplatin-ineligible patients. A second experimental harm was added with the immunotherapy as single agent. Usually, the control arm was the chemotherapy only. One trial was a bit different. The Javelin trial investigated the impact of avelimab given as maintenance following four to six cycles of chemotherapy. Now we have data for a lot of them, Danube, Keynote 361, Ambigo 130 failed to show a significant overall survival benefit. The checkmate 901 is still enrolling patient. And finally, Javelin trial is the only one that improved overall survival. So here the data of combination arm in this trial. As you can see, the curves were, are very similar. The differences are not significant. There is a trend, and maybe in the Ambigo 130, 
the difference might be significant in the future with a longer follow-up. The overall response rates are not different. In Danube, again, no significant difference in ITT populations. You can see on the bottom right column that by contrast, the results in Javelin are clearly different. Hazard ratio was 0.69 and median overall survival was 40 months in the control arm versus 21 months in the abelumab arm. So now we look at the single immunotherapy arm. This arm were enriched in PDR1 positive patients following the FDA and EMEA release that I have described earlier. The curves crossover and more deaths in the immunotherapy arm within the first three months were observed. Anyway, there is no difference between single agent and chemotherapy. In MVG130, hazard ratio was 0.69, but the difference was not formally analyzed given the statistical design of the trial. Also, only 20% of the patients on enrolled in the control arm received subsequent immunotherapy in this trial versus around 50% in Keynote 361 and Danim trial. So we have still a phase three trial and basic immunotherapy in first line, checkmate 901, as I said earlier, but also the NILE study that is assessing the concept of chemotherapy combined with immunotherapy. The last one, EV302, compared infantumab velotin, an antibody drug conjugate targeting nectin-4, combined with pembrolizumab to chemotherapy. EV is approved in US given the data of EV201 study in post-platinum post-immune checkpoint inhibitor setting. Recently, we had a press release indicating that the phase 3 EV301 comparing EV to chemotherapy in cell line was positive. Also, two years ago, EV103 study reported impressive interim results with a combination in first-line setting with a 70% overall response rate in cisplatin ineligible patients. So building on this encouraging data, EV302 was designed and launched. So let's move into the details now of the Javelin study. The role of the maintenance therapy was investigated recently in two important studies. The rationale is that platinum-based chemotherapy manages more mutations, more neoantigens, that prime immune system to be active with subsequent PD-1 or PD-1 inhibitors. So, by including patients that benefit from chemotherapy, we select patients who are more likely to respond to immune checkpoint inhibitors. Lastly, chemotherapy can induce detrimental effect of immune system when given concomitantly to immunotherapy. So sequential strategy may be more relevant than in concomitant strategy. So we have a phase three trial, Javelin with Avelimab, and a phase two trial with Pembrolizumab. This is the design of Javelin. Only patients who achieve at least stable disease were allowed to be included in this study. The Javelin enrolled both cisplatin-eligible and cisplatin-ineligible patients. Almost 700 patients were enrolled and received after randomization either avalimab every two weeks until disease progression or toxicity, or were managed by surveillance only. The primary endpoint was overall survival in all randomized patients and in pdl one positive patients. Secondary endpoint include progression-free survival, safety, and quality of life. The primary endpoint was met. The risk of death was reduced by 31% with the use of maintenance avalimab. The median of all survival in avalimab harm was 21 months versus 14 months in the control arm. 
in PDL1 positive patients, hazard ratio was 0.56, and median overall survival was not met in abelumab arm versus 17 months in the control arm. Globally, all subgroups benefit from this approach. The benefit was observed regardless of PDL1 expression, regardless of the type of chemotherapy or clinical response to prior chemotherapy. Importantly, more than 16% of the patients in the control arm receive a second line, and 44% of PD-1 or PD-1 inhibitor, which I think reflects the reality of the management of this patient in daily practice. If we focus now on patients who went off the, the study due to disease progression, three-quarters of them receive a second line therapy, which was immunotherapy in two-thirds among them. As I said before, another study investigated the concept of maintenance. It was an academic trial conducted in the US comparing pembrolizumab versus placebo in patients with at least stable disease after initial chemotherapy. ADN-PFS was significantly better in the pembrolizumab harm. There was no difference for overall survival between the two harms. In this trial, 15% of the patients enrolled in the placebo arm received pembrolizumab as subsequent therapy, 23% of the patients died at time of analysis. In this context, another piece of the puzzle stems from this study conducted by the Spanish group Cisplatin-ineligible patients were randomized to be treated with either first bivalimab and then chemotherapy or upfront chemotherapy. There was no difference for PFS, but for overall survival, it seemed that starting chemotherapy first is a better strategy than treating this patient with immunotherapy first. So chemotherapy should be given first. So let's try to use this data in a clinical case. This is an 81-year-old man diagnosed with metastatic urothelial carcinoma has several comorbidities with renal dysfunction and coronary heart disease. The disease story started in February 2019, where they observed a gross hematuria, which will reveal a mass in the right upper urinary tract. A radical surgery was performed in June, and no perioperative systemic therapy was given. In October, it was doing well, but several lymph nodes were diagnosed in the retroperitoneum, along with a local relapse. So, the question at this point is, which additional test do you ask for? pd one status, FGFR2, mutations, mutational burden, or other? So for this patient, you can record CPS or IC score and FGFR3 status. CPS score was 10% and FGFR2 and 3 were well typed. So which strategy sound optimal for this patient in late 2020? Chemotherapy first and then avalimab as maintenance. Chemotherapy and then close follow-up. PDL1 inhibitor on first line. Chemotherapy plus PDL1 inhibitor or other. So the patient received four cycles of carboplatin combined with GEMSAR and a complete response was achieved. So now, do you consider avalimab as maintenance or chemotherapy and then close follow-up? In Javelin trial, as I said before, a lot of subgroups were analyzed, and we observed that the benefit of abelimab as maintenance was observed regardless of the type of chemotherapy and regardless of the study of response to the prior chemotherapy. So a patient with a complete response benefit from abelimab as maintenance. So this has been added in the current guideline, here an example with the ESMO guideline to the recommendation for the use of, of abelimab of level 1A. And CCN guidelines provided also an update 
and cisplatin eligible patient avalimab should be given after either cisplatin gems are or does not bind, providing the chemotherapy induced complete response, partial response, or stable disease. For the patient unfit for cisplatin, carboplatin and gemzar should be given first and then avalimab. Atezolizumab and pembrolizumab are still possible and remain an option according to the NCCN guidelines. So let's move to the second line. Five different PD-1 or PD-1 inhibitors are approved based on data from phase one, two, or three. Of course, with a javelin maintenance study, only patients who progress during chemotherapy will be treated with immune checkpoint inhibitor in second line. This slide to remind, remind everyone that the phase two trial was conducted 10 years ago, assessed benfrenine versus best supportive care in second line. The trial was negative in ITT analysis, and so the drug is not approved in most countries. However, the pair protocol analysis suggests the benefit of benfrenine over best supportive care. So this analysis supported the European approval, and currently only a minority of European countries reimburse the drug. In second line, PD-RN status is not required to select patients. We can expect 20% response rate. In the trial, median PFS was two months and median overall surveillance was 10 months. The best level of evidence we have was provided by Kinodeo 45 trial, which compared pembrolizumab to chemotherapy in second or third line. The trial met its primary endpoint as a ratio of 0.70 after a median follow-up of two years. 40% are alive at one year, and 20% are alive at two years. So this table shows you that there is no big difference between PD-1 and PD-L1 inhibitors in terms of efficacy or safety. These drugs are well tolerated with very few patients developing serious toxicities. So now the landscape is changing very fast with the development of antibody drug conjugates. I discussed unfortunately reloading earlier, in third line, EV201 study reported an overall response rate of 41%, median PFS of around six months, and median overall survival of around one year. Based on this data, the drug has been approved by FDA. Another class of drug, FGFR inhibitors, 20% of MIBC exhibit FGFR3 mutation or FGFR2 and 3 fusion. These alterations are unchondritic in bladder cancer. In the phase two trial, DLC2001 study, Elafitinib, a pan-FGFR inhibitors, was given to around 100 patients with metastasic urothelial carcinoma. 90% had been treated with other therapy. Overall response rate was 40%, median PFS close to six months, and median overall survival of 30 months. Based on this data, Elafitinib is improved in US for patients with selected FGFR2 and 3 gene alterations. Again, these new data have been integrated in the guidance and both drugs are optioned in second-line therapy, especially for patients previously treated with PA1 or PD1 inhibitor. Here, an example with the ASMO guidelines. And here, with the NCCN guidelines, where you can see that pembrolizumab is a preferred regimen in post-platinum setting. If patient has been treated with PD1 or PD1 inhibitor in first line, a lot of options can be discussed. Carbogem is a preferred regimen. Of course, Given the low level of evidence, participation in clinical trial of new agents is recommended. Now, a second clinical case with a 50-year-old man with a diagnosis of metastasic bladder cancer. Again, some comorbidities in this patient with high blood pressure. He was diagnosed in April 2019 with an urothelial carcinoma in the bladder. 
CT scan, renal liver and lymph node metastasis. And finally, PDRN status was not available. So three cycles of cisplatin gems are have been administered to this patient. And the complete response was observed on the first CT scan. So now, do you consider three additional cycles of chemotherapy? Switch to avalumab right now, stop and follow, or other? So the patient received three additional cycles of chemotherapy, so six in total. After the last one, the complete response was confirmed in the liver and left node, but a bone progression, as you can see here, was diagnosed. The sequencing from an HFR3 S249C mutation and tumor, tumor mutational burden was five mutation per megabase. So now, do you consider multiple bone radiations, PDL1 or PD1 inhibitors, edafitinib, chemotherapy? Actually, the patient received pembrolizumab but died two months later from disease progression. So two important questions from this clinical case arise. Should we start avalumab earlier, as soon as a complete response is obtained? Should we give pembrolizumab in patients with FGFR3 mutation? These questions are important in the context of the lack of strong biomarker response with the use of immunotherapy in bladder cancer. A lot of biomarkers are currently investigated on tumor cells, immune cells, blood, and microenvironment. For example, TMB does not fully explain the response to immune checkpoint inhibitors. There is a correlation, like here in the Keynote 045 and Keynote 052 trial, but not enough to implement in daily practice. Regarding the FGFR3 mutation, we know that luminal papillary tumors, which are enriched in FGFR3 gene alteration, have a low immune infiltration. They're kind of immune desert. And retrospective analysis should suggest that this tumor responds poorly to immune checkpoint inhibitors. But this is highly debated, and we need prospective data. So the management of patients in metastasis setting is evolving quite fast. But of course, the management could be different across countries and continents. Dafitinib and EV are approved in US, but not in Europe, for example. US has already approved Avalumab is maintenance. It is not the case in Europe. Five immune checkpoint inhibitors are approved in second line by FDA, only three by MEA. But fortunately, the recommendations are not so different between ESMO guidelines and NCCM. So to conclude, Platinum-based chemotherapy followed by Avalumab is the center of care in late 2020. Almost all patients should follow this strategy regardless of type of chemotherapy or clinical benefit. PD-1 and PD-L1 inhibitors remain second-line standard of care for patients with PD. We should test for FGFR2 or 3 gene alteration as soon as possible. And unfortunately, velocity may change the landscape in the first line soon. Thank you for participating in this activity. Thank you again. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Axis Medical Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and EMD Serono Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.